So hello and welcome to episode six of Forensic Fix, a podcast brought to you from MSAB, where we invite guests from the industry to discuss the latest news on BFIR, current issues, and a general chat about all things digital forensic and investigations. So I'm your host, Adam Furman, a tech evangelist here at MSAB. And I'm delighted to say that today's guest is Derek Frawley, a recently retired law enforcement officer from Kingston Police in Canada. So let me start with telling you a little bit about today's guest. So Derek is recently retired from Kingston Police in January this year, completing his full service where he worked the majority of his career dealing with digital forensics. I won't say what year you started in the police, Derek, but of course you could tell people if you want. So Derek has worked several high-profile cases and since retirement has chosen to remain in the digital forensics world. So Derek, I've given our listeners a small insight into your career. Can you give us some more detail about your past, your career path, and how you got into the digital forensics world? So um, I I started policing uh, in 1995 uh, in Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, Then in uh, 1999, I moved to Kingston, Ontario. Uh, where I, I was, I was on the road. Um, in 2009, I, uh, Kingston received a grant to be able to create their e-crime unit, uh, and I was selected to be the member uh, to do that. Um, as I was being trained up, uh, there's actually two very large cases that uh, uh, were waiting for me when I perfect time. <laughs> yeah yeah perfect timing. Uh, there was uh, the Shafia homicide in uh, Kingston, which was a quadruple uh, honor killing uh, homicide. That was my very first case. No uh, pressure. I, yeah, so. yeah, no pressure. And then uh, after that, there was uh, Operation Delego, uh, which was uh, at that time probably the largest seizure of uh, child exploitation material in Canada. Uh, and it just so happened that the servers <laughs> servers were located in Kingston. <laughs> yeah, very full. Yeah, 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 a great way to start. I mean, you can only. Uh, you can only go down from there, so it's yeah. uh, it's it's it was nice getting my feet wet. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, and then in 2014, um, I became uh, a member of the provincial strategy in Ontario, um, and that's uh, for the protection of uh, child exploitation online. Um, and I did that right till I, I finished my career in uh, January of, ni- of 2023. Yeah, impressive career. And what what did a normal day look like as a police officer for you, Derek? Uh, from the time I was in digital forensics? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, obviously it changed. I, but I did, I was, I was a sole person from 2009 to uh, 2014. Yeah. Um, you know, I come in from my office and see if there's anything waiting, whether or not people are going to write warrants. So then the, yeah. the work just kept building up and building up. And then, and then there'd be a big rush. Um, but uh, the, the normal day was, uh, you know, was a lot of time in the office, in the lab, um, you know, whether it was taking computers apart, taking cell phones apart, yeah. uh, doing the extractions that we could do. And then when 2014 came along, um, it was a little more, my day was more scripted in that I knew something was going to be waiting. We knew, um, you know, we, we, we would plan warrants yeah. a, a week or two in advance, get everything set up. And it was very, it, it was, it was the worst type of work you can do, but it was also the most rewarding. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was, that was nice because uh, I kind of knew, you, you knew what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, in the end, when that type of work, it's rewarding because you've saved somebody. 
Yeah. And I can't imagine, because when I joined a forensic unit, there was a lot of experienced people already in place. So I was led and taught. How did you back in, <laughs> go solo? How, how did you equip yourself? How did you learn the industry? Right. Uh, so when I started in 2009, I, because uh, of course, a very large case that was <laughs> waiting <Wait>. for me. <laughs> um, uh, I, I did, I was mentored. Uh, I, I would go to the Ontario Provincial Police and I would do, uh, I was mentored there for, for the first little bit, uh, yeah. for a few months. Um, but really it's just, it's the industry and, uh, you know, in law enforcement and, and this whole digital forensic thing, I, you could reach out to anybody. Yeah. Um, and once you made your contacts, you made your friends, whether it be from conferences or whatever, you could always call on them and say, Hey, this is something new. How, yeah. how are you guys approaching it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, it's a lot of leaning on other people. Yeah. Um, and then you pay back the same way. Yeah. The, you're right that the community in this industry is unlike no other. Yeah. Normally, if someone finds something that's going to make them look good, that they'll keep it to themselves. I've never seen that in this industry. No, no, it's uh, instant help. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. And because we're, we're all doing the same thing and we've all got the same purpose and that's whether or not to find out if someone is guilty of an offence or if they're indeed innocent. Correct. Um, so... With your experience over the years, what would you say are the biggest challenges that are facing this industry? Um, I mean, whether it be computers or phones, obviously the biggest challenge has been the move towards encryption and, and making it, everything's getting harder to get into. Yeah. And, and thank God it didn't, or hasn't taken the turn of what we thought would happen years ago. Where, yeah. Okay, as soon as everything was encrypted, we were, then we've lost everything. Uh, uh, you know, if, uh, myself, I've been very lucky with uh, being able to to, to bypass uh, over the years um, some encryption. Uh, and once again, it's just reaching out and leaning on everybody. So, uh, you know, it's getting into devices. Yeah. Um, that's really the biggest hurdle. But we seem to make, you know, every we make steps forward, even though we fall back. We then yeah. can, can get back on the horse again. And, and sort of when I started, it was sort of the the ratio of work in regards to computers and phones was very heavily computer work, especially yes. in child abuse material. Yes. As the the years passed by, which they do very quickly, yes. I started to notice a trend that then started pushing mobiles higher. Did yes. you see that in Canada as well? Um, a lot of, it depends whether or not the apps that, uh, or the, the, the programs that people were using were available for phones. Yeah. Um, it and it also depended on, uh, was it the low hanging fruit that you were getting? Um, or what, but it did definitely increase. Uh, I, we were still uh, probably 60% computers in what I was doing because we were writing the warrants and that. Yeah. But uh, uh, when it came on, to, like people were able to, with cell phones, make a lot more yeah. uh, of their own material. Yeah. Um, so it, it then started becoming, now we have to look at all the phones. Now we have to, yeah. you know, it became much more important. So, yeah, by the end of it was probably, my day was probably 40% phones and 60% yeah. computers, which is, it was a big shift. Yeah. Like it was uh, 95 to 5 before that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and we know how troublesome phones can be compared to dealing with a spinning disk, for example. Yes. Uh, that's the thing. If there was no encryption on a computer, I mean, every computer, whether it was, you know, 
uh, an SSD drive or an NVMe drive it, it, or an old spinning drive, you're pretty well going to get the information yeah. and you were your own roadblock as yeah. to what you could process. Yeah. Um, but phones are obviously different. They're, every phone's yeah. different. And next week, there'll be a new you know, a new phone that looks the same, but totally different way of, yeah. of acquiring the evidence. So. And <clears throat> your old hard drives gave you issues. Like we, we chatted previously about this, yeah. about how IDEs, you'd have them hanging off a, a tableau, for yeah. example, on books and positioned in a certain yeah. way just so you could get a read. But yeah. like you say, that was sort of the biggest issue you had, wasn't it? With yes. computers. Yes. Um, I mean, now well, when it comes to computers, now everything's, it seems you don't get as many bad hard drives or things yeah. that are not working. It seems you pretty well can get an acquisition, even if the drive's ready to not be used. <laughs> yeah. still, you still get the information. But uh, yeah, things are obviously harder with with yeah. with phones. And <laughs> and we we spoke about the encryption there because there's been some big platforms out there, for example, like WhatsApp, Apple, yes. Android. They're always concerned for their victims privacy which right. i understand as an end user yes how how do you feel personally about them imposing those end-to-end -end encryption platforms well um you know it's uh i i, <laughs> I don't really i i, I don't want to say I, I kind of disagree with it but if i'm kind of under the, the feeling that if you're breaking the law if you're not most people don't break the law. Yeah. And if you are, and I'm not saying there's invalid reasons to be using that end end encryption because because obviously you're protecting yourself. But, you know, if there's a way that they can uh, let law enforcement know, because that's been the yeah. biggest hurdle these days is there's no cooperation. And like what we have to do to be able to protect people is, it's just ridiculous now. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I, I, they need to make that potentially, uh, they need to find a way around that yeah. where uh, maybe it's going to be AI, you know, where it's not, where people aren't there, but then there's some sort of alert that pops up that's saying, you know, hey, this needs to be marked in. And, and don't get me wrong, there are things out there that, yes, do trigger warnings already. Like it's yeah. not something new to come, but uh, maybe, a, you know, a little a bit of an enhancement and, and that would, would yeah. help everybody. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then, of course, the court's taking it seriously that, you know, these are real victims. Of yeah, because p people have got to realize that the police, law enforcement, military, we do not have the time to sit and listen and sift through every single WhatsApp chat that's going through your server. Absolutely not. So no one is listening or spoofing any of these. No. But like you say, if a certain trigger is hit, whether it's a hash of a CSAM image that's being shared, it should be investigated. Yep. And we understand the need for end-to-end -end encryption because, say, for example, our politicians, they need end-to-end -end encryption. But if a politician was corrupt, us as citizens would expect that to be investigated. Correct. How would we feel if they can't be investigated because yes. of that end-to-end -end encryption? Yeah. And that's where it comes down to maybe, you know, there there always has to be a backdoor. And, and like I say, even, even in the best of, of encryptions and best of things going out, there always seems to be, a, yeah. eventually, it seems to be a way around it. Um, so, you know, maybe that backdoor is built in when something's triggered that, you know, we still have a process too. It still isn't all, yeah. you you go through everything willy-nilly and, and can, uh, uh, you know, 
ruin somebody's life that way. It's it's you know you're you're still following a lot of rules and that's not without justification, is it? That's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean you have to. It's it's really hard work, even when you know. Yeah, when, you, when you've got good intelligence. Yes, when your hard. intelligence is perfect, it's still yeah. next to impossible. Yeah. And we discussed this a little bit on the podcast before, but about when Apple announced that they were going to start scanning people's iCloud. And there was, Apple were trying to do the right thing, but there was a public outcry at them announcing that. And I think this is where normal, like my parents, for example, they'd if they read that, they'd think, oh, somebody at, at Apple is going through my gallery and viewing every image. Well, yeah. It's not the case. Correct. It, it, you know, it's checking on hashes. And that's where the problem is, I think, is that the average user isn't aware of how this technology is used. Yes. So, of course, they're scared that someone's going through my gallery and seeing all my awful photos. Or Yeah, they're not. <laughs> yeah. But I'm hoping that eventually Apple will turn that feature on because we know it has the ability. Yes. And, I mean, there's and there are other services out there that already do yeah um like because they also have to protect themselves too and that you know they can't be supporting what is yeah. this type of stuff going on and uh and you know it is it, it's it's there it's just not yeah. maybe they're perfect yeah it's it's never going to go away and that's right yeah it's only going to get worse yeah <laughs> and without trying to put people off <laughs> from these conversations yeah, yeah sorry so with your invest your experience of investigating in this world for people who are maybe considering a career path in the forensic industry or those who have just joined, what advice would you, what advice would you give to yourself when you started back in 2009? Uh, the main thing is I would say, don't try to take the easy way out on, on things. Um, and by that, you know, I, I find the industry is sort of heading a little bit towards push button yeah. uh, forensics. It's learn your trade or your, what you need to know first and then, then make it easier by the push button. But yeah. the biggest thing is having a solid foundation in understanding what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah. Because whether or not people like it, you will be put on the stand and yeah. that's when it all comes out. It's like, Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish, I wish I had have done more learning on what I'm talking about now. Yeah. Because because of the quantity, we, we understand why we need push button. And of course. Yes. But you're right. You, you need the foundation of understanding when you push that button of what's happening. What it's doing. And, <laughs> and validation, isn't it, really? And, yes. And like you say, if, if you go to court, you're potentially taking away someone's livelihood or you're potentially defending the, their case. And to do that, I want to be 100% sure. Exactly. That what I'm producing is, is accurate and correct. So I work for a tool vendor and my advice is still validate. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. And, and if you know what's going on, it's much easier to validate because then you can see what's going on. You can check it in other tools or other software and you can see the exact, you know, yeah. you're confirming from one to the next that yes, yes. what I found is what I found. Exactly. And, and, Validation is sort of key in this industry. And like you say, if you understand what's going on under the hood, yes, then when you're given your evidence in court, it comes across that way. Yeah. I mean, and the other, I guess the hard part with that is nobody knows everything. Yeah. So also don't be afraid to, to reach out to people that can maybe help you understand that new thing under the hood that's, uh, you know, 
being you're being presented with you now need to understand so yeah. um yeah I, I would just say having a, a solid base knowledge yeah. helps yeah and it it also helps you because we know from this industry that things are constantly changing like this week as we record <laughs> the the week of we're may 24 today yes may 24 and this week whatsapp sorry to keep picking on you whatsapp i don't mean it there are other chat app, apps out there but this week they've introduced the lock chat so the ability to lock chat threads which then require biometrics to enter or or a pin to enter that chat thread and they've also introduced like apple and others have the ability to edit messages which makes our work very fun you're trying yeah. to prove what the original message was. yes yes and having the ability because it's hard for vendor tools to to keep up of course as soon as these updates are put in we're testing them yeah. but that doesn't mean that we're going to get that software into the laps of examiners the next day so you, you need the ability to understand how to go in and review this y yourself yeah hey, i mean and it would also be nice when uh, the, not the whole big brother thing but if companies are going to introduce this with proper you know documentation and everything then like help us understand yeah. and even if they don't want to provide it you know get their their engineers their software to work know, guys, to, to work or to explain yeah give us what we need yeah because in a the, timely manner because <laughs> at the moment what we're having is a ten thousand piece jigsaw puzzle yes without the picture yeah exactly <laughs> and, and having, the box <laughs> yeah exactly and we're having to guess how that goes together yeah, yeah i totally agree and where this industry is going and there's been a lot of chat about it recently in sort of DFIR and Twitter and places, is the cloud. Yes. How, how do you feel about the cloud and digital forensics as a whole? Um, I, you know, it's just another extension. It's another way to store things. So, yeah. I mean, it would just be better, at least I know in, in Canada than that, if, if it was more understood by the courts and more acceptable, well, you know, give us the way to be able to now extract that data. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I guess, yeah, it's just, it, I, I, I don't have a problem yeah. with it. Um, I just think that there needs to be some ease of, of accessing that yeah. when, when the proper time comes, because yeah. we just don't go around looking for people, <laughs> you know, like, um, they pretty well come to us. <laughs> and what about using the power of the cloud to do your job? as a as a forensic practitioner uh that obviously is really helps like if you talk about like amazon services for you could potentially you know harness the power to help uh get around encryption or you know crack yeah. a password or something like that the problem i find with it coming from a smaller force is that right now it's kind of unattainable for cost wise uh, cost wise yeah um so you know but it's definitely the potential's out there yeah. and i think uh you know, I think in the future, the more players that are in it, the more competitive, the more competitive and the better it'll be. Yeah. A better product and, and a more affordable price. Yeah. yeah. And I totally agree the, the ability to spin up a power machine for as and when you need it is yeah. far better than trying to convince your procurement or your IT department. Right. I want this latest machine with probably 512 gig of RAM now is probably yeah. where, yeah. um, as and when you need it, being able to spin it up for that hour to crack that passcode, 100%. Yes. And sort of some of the plugins that are now available for like image recognition and things like being able to run them 
correct. Yeah. I I think you're right. I think it's inevitable that it's going to come to this industry. And, and you know, maybe it's it'll be something run by law enforcement or run by whatever that provides to other law enforcement agencies, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so, um, yeah, I, I think it's the future. Yeah. Cause I, and you made a good point there about law enforcement being able to perhaps log into a gov sort of cloud system. Over the years, I've seen a huge change, certainly when I was a police officer, that even internal police forces in the UK, we, we didn't communicate. Yeah. You could, be, you could pick up a suspect in our jurisdiction who was wanted for an offence 100 miles down the road. I couldn't access the paperwork. That's how crazy it was. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, I, I will say when it came to the child exploitation side of things, uh, the, French, the provincial strategy was fantastic because yeah. basically we have, you know, the main force in the province is um, letting all the different four major uh, municipalities work as one, um, yeah. you know, and, and it's great. So yeah. uh, sharing the information there, we, we could tell who was, you know, what invest, who had which investigations. And if we ran into somebody in Kingston, then we might, we might know that, yes, it was same person in Toronto and same person. And, yeah. and if we all worked, you know, hand in glove, it was, it was great. And what about globally? Obviously. Globally is great too, because the, you know, the strategy could also talk to the larger markets or talked to the UK like actually in the last few years we had a live live abuse that was happening uh suspect uh you know was here in in our area and yeah. uh, yet it was uh you know over from the UK we we were called and said hey this is going on and it yeah. was it was instant like yeah. we were able to like immediately save the victim at the time like yeah. it was uh yeah. like Everybody works together, yeah. which, which is great. Yeah, and that's, but, it, but it has changed. <laughs> yeah, and that's huge advancements. And in our last episode, we had Austin Barrier from Homeland Security, and he echoed that. He yeah. said the same thing, that it doesn't matter if it's Australia, New Zealand, that we are now finally globally tackling this issue. Working together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense for everybody. Yes. Yeah. And I'm now going to ask the final question, which has been set on behalf of my last guest, which was Tom Farrell, who has asked, if money, legislation, and technical restrictions were taken out of the equation, what would be the one solution or development to help you tackle online crimes against children? Um, it's kind of hard because there's more, I think, more than one needed. Yeah. Um, I would... I would say more, it's kind of going back to what we we're, I guess, talking about, more cooperation with the courts and that and taking it more seriously. And we've been handcuffed in that. Now you can't find the information of where, where it's starting from. It could take up to 30 days unless it's exigent. The one thing would be an immediate way of, yes, this is very important and not just, you know, be able to get that information right away. Yeah. I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah the answer you're looking for, but uh, it's your answer. Uh, yeah, I yeah. know. Um, yeah, I just uh, you know because uh, and I'm, I'm kind of pigeonholing myself into into that uh, thing, but the, saving the victims. Yeah, yeah, it's the no. most important thing. And I'll let you know what Thomas said. And Tom said I could use this quote. So okay. Tom would like to have the ability to be able to remote into the devices of anyone 
access and CSAM material or grooming children. And he'd like to turn their device into a very expensive but useless lump of metal or plastic that could never be used again. A bit like probably Demolition Man, if anyone's seen the movie, where it instantly knows if you've made a violation. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe like the old exploding ink bags when someone robbed the bank and yeah, they, you know it, as they exit yeah, yeah. exactly it might be <laughs> but no that's perfect and um, thank you for your time today for joining us on Forensic Fix and thank you for your career in law enforcement for helping in like you say can be the most challenging work but it is the most rewarding but thank you very much for your time Derek thanks for having me thank you. Mm-hmm.